For February 17th, 2014, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 294. Dr. Exposition and his sidekick lady, Who What Where. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Somewhere, there is a podcast happening. Right now, it's here on Overthinking It, and you're listening to it. Though really, the podcast already happened, though it's happening again because you're listening to it. I am blowing my own mind, and I am (laughs) Matthew Rather from Los Angeles. I'm here with the panel to discuss uh, a little seen art film known as RoboCop. (laughs) Um, that's actually not totally a joke, and we can discuss the implications of the, of that statement because the original RoboCop didn't uh, didn't cost a uh, didn't cost you know a zillion dollars uh, even by the standards of films of the time. And being a Paul Verhoeven movie, you know, ha- had artistic concerns beyond just just the action, though a lot of things do get shot. Um, but uh, uh, I, I am remiss. I'm talking too much about the, the subject of the podcast without getting to the question of the week to introduce the panel. Uh, panel, your question this week in order to be introduced is, uh, now that we have RoboCop, what profession, what, what is the next profession that we ought to robofy? What uh, profession will be um, aided by becoming part man and part machine, but all X? Whatever, uh, whatever you decide. First in the alphabet, drink, because it's not Peter Fenzel. It's Matthew Belinky. <laughs> uh, hey, guys. So here's the deal. I've been watching the Olympics nonstop. It's just on. No matter what's going on, I, I watch it. When I'm taking a shower, I just turn it up really loud so I can kind of hear it in there. Um, and I'm, I'm loving it. And the more obscure the this, this sport, the better. That like I, I've learned more about, uh, about curling and about the, the different, there's so there's so many different uh, variations on like you know how to slide down a hill, right? Because there's the there's the what there's the slalom and there's the downhill, and then there's the super G, which sounds like it's like a Dragon Ball Z thing, but it's not. It's it's just it's like a like an unholy hybrid between the two things. So they have to go between <laughs> flags, but flags that are really far apart, so they can go fast when they do it. Um, but here's the, the most gripping storyline of the Olympics for me has been uh, Bob Costas uh, struggling against his own failing uh, Bob. Body because he has what what I can only describe as pink eye. Uh, I, <laughs> I think that's I how everyone that, would describe. That when it. I Google when I Google Bob Costas when I when I and let the Google um autofill uh, take its course, uh, Bob Costas eye is now the number one search, which I'm sure he's very pleased about after like a, a lifetime of of hard hitting sports journalism that his eye is now the top story. Um, and then he began the Olympics wearing a pair of. Um, hilarious sort of a Portlandia style hipster glasses uh, to try to compensate for his his, his uh, swollen eyes, but then uh, I believe it was Monday that he finally had to bow out, and he had like an unbroken streak of, of hosting the Olympics since I think 1992, and he finally had to to and 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 very and and, and I think he was he was humbled by this moment. Uh, Matt Lauer had to take over, and and Matt Lauer hosting the Olympics has been sort of a disconcerting experience because I associate him more with like sort of like puff pieces about uh, Puff Daddy. <laughs> and not not so much like you know sports sports journalism. Uh-huh. Um, so here's the thing, but I hear that uh, Bob Costas is in fact coming back uh, to 
tomorrow. He's been gone for a week. He's coming back, and I'd like to imagine that, like, what happens when, you know, he finally comes on camera from, like, the, the NBC Olympic Center in Sochi is that he is he is uh, wearing, and, and, and I can only describe it as Jordy LaForge's visor from Star Trek The Next Generation, and <laughs> that he has, because he did not want to have to, like, let the Olympics go hosted only by Matt Lauer. He thought the American people deserve better. He underwent experimental uh, Jordy Lafer- LaForge <laughs> um, surgery, uh, perhaps with LeVar Burton playing the role of the surgeon in my own fan fiction um, in order to, to, to give himself these cybernetic eyes. So he is, he is part anchor, uh, part machine. Oh, wait, no, wait. Oh, sorry, wait. Part man, part machine, all anchor. Right. Uh Excellent. Uh, Pete Fenzel, you are next. All right. Well, thanks very much. Um, While I have not been watching as much of the Olympics, I have been cooking a little bit lately. Uh, And I will say, uh, though it is not quite a profession, that as a dude who has never really put a whole ton of time and effort into learning how to cook well, uh, there is an analysis paralysis. There is a general failure to act that comes uh, from my experience in the kitchen, or that I experience when I'm in the kitchen, very similar to the hesitation that the new RoboCop experiences when he's being tested by his engineers and his uh, Steve Jobsy, Michael Keaton-y uh, bosses in the new <laughs> RoboCop movie. Yeah. And they determine that his human decision-making, his fear, his anxiety, his hesitation is making him less efficient than the machines and that they need to do something about his free will. Uh, I feel like there needs to be a suit where a guy, particularly if he's, say, like a boyfriend or a husband or somebody who needs to, like, step up his game to hang out with somebody who is cooking better, but somebody can, a man can sort of become cybernetically enhanced so that the machine can take over a little bit and, like, walk you through the motions of cooking a good meal so that at least you can be less afraid of it. Like, take away that element of free will, create the illusion, make the decision for you, but have you have the experience uh, of, of moving around your kitchen and cooking in this way, right? Like, because then you can be like, what, uh, is it half, half, half boy, half friend, all machine? No, it's half man, half cook, all robot. No, it's half crock pot, half, <laughs> some half, it's your half of, half of you is a crock pot. And the other half of you is, has a bla- a buzzsaw in your hand. And, okay. I'm going to figure out exactly what, how to work out the fractions. But the point is that I, I would love to be like a robo cook and not just like a robo cook and like a robo cook kitchen because those kitchens are are very assembly line put together anyway kind of industrial kitchens but i mean like a robo home cook i want like toll house robocop is what i want i want like you know like a a a really aromatic pot roast or a beef stew right that uh that that just like robocop used to make is is what i want that's the experience that i want (laughs) machines to help me create by taking away my freedom so excellent yeah i don't want pink eye either but matt took that one so <laughs> conjunctivitis is a word that is often used to describe pink eye. <laughs> Although that, and, that raises, it raises all sorts of uh, robocopian uh, issues about that. Sure. That like a, a, a robo robo cook would cook uh, exactly by the book, literally by the book uh, would, 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 uh, you know, mix up everything to, to the, to the, to the milli ounce. Uh, you know, and and cook everything to the exact second at the exact temperature. Would use infrared eyes to literally see the the interior temperature of the oven without without having to check a thermometer. But like, is not is not something being lost? Do you not want the human element in your cooking? Yeah. 
Well, that raises, I think, the question De- of what dead, is the more Dead important? or alive, you're eating my beets. <laughs> Just to say one more thing about that, it raises the question of whether the more important thing about the human element of cooking is some intangible aspect to the product of the cooking, the result of the cooking, that comes from intuition, experience, care. Like, can you really taste Jennifer Aniston's tears or whatever, Sarah Michelle Gellar's tears or whatever is, like, in her soup, right? Like, or is the value in the human experience of cooking the increased enjoyment that you get from eating food that you've cooked yourself or that a loved one has cooked for you, not because the food is better, but because you have that additional input of that additional thing that happened, which has significance for you, either because you were there or because somebody that you care about was there. So is, it, is, it, is, is the proof of the pudding in the eating or is it in the making <laughs> is the question. Um, and I don't know if there's a ready answer this side of Robotown. We might have to make a cyborg to test this hypothesis. <laughs> so it's uh, – I mean it depends what you mean by proof, right? And you'll recall my blog post – about pudding. About what? <laughs> <No. laughs> it was about it was about malt liquor. It's about fruit. It's about Everclear and proof. No, it's yeah. Uh, it was about proof. But no proof meant test to 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 test something. The proof of something was the test of it, not necessarily the demonstration of it. So in in its sort of archaic sense, the exception that proves the rule meant the exception that disproves the rule in our in our contemporary sense in our current understanding of the word proof right and if you think of the the way we use it well it's the exception that proves the rule it's the exception that makes me believe that there is a rule because there's an exception to it um that doesn't make a whole lot of sense but to say that well to admit that well yes this case is the exception that tests the rule uh it proves it um it challenges it Right. That's what that word. Uh, that's what that that word used to mean. And I wrote a blog post about that once when I still wrote for a little website called Overthinking It. Anyway, I should answer the question. Um, uh, municipal garbage collection. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to start with you, Pete. Uh, <laughs> that was, excuse me. <laughs> Are you taking out the trash? Is that what's happening? Oh no no no! I, I was changing this. He's, his answer is complete. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think he literally just replaced the part of himself that normally answers the question of the week with a robot. <laughs> I have no. Uh, my dopamine levels have been lowered to a single digit percentage, oh, okay. and I can't. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I, I counter by saying I'm glad that you're there to explain it to me because God knows I'd never be able to navigate a RoboCop movie without a group of scientists constantly narrating everything that's happening. Well, this but, uh, I mean I, I think we can't lay this exclusively at the foot of this movie. The the scientists like you know Doctor Exposition and his sidekick, uh, you know his sidekick. lady lady who what where like <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was about to say I was about to say you know uh, graduate students. Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> um, because like any any movie in which there is a like a robot with a heads up display, right, or anything like that, uh, it's it's always like the exposition machine. You know, it's always like, here are the three relevant details you need and an explanation of what is actually taking place right now in case you could not discern it from, you know, the images on the movie screen. But but the thing is, this movie has that, and it still has a group of scientists <laughs> who explain to you what's happening on the heads-up display, right. explaining to you what's happening in the movie. Yeah. See, that's, that's one of my favorite things about movies with, like, robots, like the Terminator or something, and that because you, you always get a readout 
in which the, the, the robot the robot literally the thoughts appear as text superimposed on the images, hmm. even though the, presumably the robot doesn't need to read the screen, right? <laughs> no, if you if you know, right, it's extraordinarily wasteful of of computing, computing power, yeah, power exactly. To like draw a heads up display if you can just you know if you're jacked into the brain directly, I, which we're given to understand in the new RoboCop is in fact the case, right? Yes, 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 and it's actually quite complex, and and that's one of the things that is actually sort of interesting about the new RoboCop, I think, is uh, not to bash it. I thought it was a fine, fine, as far as PG-13 action films are, I'm sure it beat the tattered pants off I Frankenstein, although I didn't see I Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I mean, it, it's actually, it was tons better than the new Total Recall, tons better than a bunch of the, I mean, I'd say much better than Star Trek Into Darkness in a lot of ways, but, I mean, come on. I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's a reboot of one of the best movies ever made for anyone, by anyone, <laughs> for any reason. Like, and it's just, it's, I don't know, and not, yeah. not only one of the best ones, but just one of the most extraordinary and inimitable ones, which is ironic, because it's had so many sequels. That's true. Like, uh, but Pete, I mean, like, like just to – I haven't seen the movie, but it yeah. seems that this movie does sort of have a reason to exist. That if you think about, like, why remake this movie, well, first of all, there's uh, the ongoing things with Detroit, right? And Detroit yes. being being the setting, and that's that's very topical about the sort of urban decay and how do we respond so to that. that. Is, that's coincidence, right? Like, though, though Detroit wasn't in great shape, you know, when production on this movie began – uh, a, a while back, right? Like uh, years ago, let's say three years ago, it wasn't quite in the news in the same way that that it is now. What with the you know the bankruptcy yeah. and the, the it's, whole- it's, yeah, but it's it's an occasion. Like it's an occasion that could you know call for i mean they just what they just had that kickstarter for the giant bronze statue of robocop in detroit right like which actually happened in real life (laughs) Um, (laughs) where they funded like seventy thousand dollars for a giant bronze statue of robocop instead of like textbooks for the public school system (laughs) nobody kickstarted that no, no, because that's because it's not how that kind of funding I mean, works. Look, and, and and just to be clear, I donated to that Kickstarter, so I'm <laughs> I'm not that guy who's honestly uh, suggesting. I mean, that's going to yeah. be awesome. I mean, the thing um, is that the original RoboCop also is saying we shouldn't run things like this because it's crazy, right? And that's kind of what the bronze RoboCop statue is all about. That that's sort of what the human nature is like. But no, and you're right, and I can I can sort of fill in the blanks for you on the second one. Drones, right? Is what you were going to say? Right. No, I was going to say just just the idea of of technology. I mean, just the idea of like you know cell phones, even the mm. idea that that everybody is sort of jacked into computers and nobody can do their job without these sort of technological enhancements. And right, like at, at the time it was you know when the first robocop was made it was much more of a fantasy than it seems now to some extent the idea that like what if because there will come a day when like there will be an operation that allows you to access the internet directly from your brain and certain people in the people who get it will have advantages and will be able to get certain kinds of jobs that the people who don't want to take that plunge it's not too crazy to think about that yeah yeah maybe it is I don't know. Well, I think about that. No, I, I think it is. And I think that you're totally right to say that this RoboCop has a reason to exist. And I think that it has interesting things to say. The difference between the two movies have interesting things to say about this. I mean, the first I would say is the old RoboCop, the character of RoboCop, his sort of function as a peacekeeper and as a symbol is very different from the new RoboCop, which is tremendously effective. And that's the main argument for this new RoboCop, is that we're led to believe that in a matter of days, by tracking everybody on closed-circuit cameras throughout the entire city and just running around Detroit, rounding up all of the people who've done all the crimes, RoboCop 
actually does decrease crime in Detroit by 80% in like a few days, um, merely by arresting all the criminals. If only it were that easy. <laughs> if only you could actually reduce the crime rate in the city by arresting all the criminals. Uh, but sadly, it does not so much work that way. But, um, but I yeah. was actually – I was thinking about that actually, that literally that thing while I was watching yeah. and thinking that you know if, if you turn down his – his emotions, right, which is, I suppose, something that we should talk about, and make him a, a crime computer, a crime-stopping computer, or a, uh, you know, rooting-out crime computer, wouldn't his deterministic mind be inexorably led to the underlying social and, you know, political causes of, of crime, right? And wouldn't he become uh, like a, a civil rights leader or something? Yeah. There actually is a char- – the character of Daniel Olivaw is a lot like this, which is an Isaac Asimov character who starts out as like a robot cop partner um, in a series of crime novels that involve robots. And uh, by the end of one of the latter-day Foundation novels is a sort of living on his own moon base uh, attempting to engineer the utopia in existence of the human race, right? Because he continues to extrapolate and extrapolate and extrapolate his commitment to humanity through the three laws of robotics set up by Isaac Asimov and continuing to use his superior brain power to, like, calculate what's the best for everybody. And so he sort of makes that ascent. But yes, I mean, that's sort of what happens in this movie is he, RoboCop, unfortunately, RoboCop starts figuring out about the corruption in the police department, right? And, and, and this is where the movie also kind of, another place where the movie checks its swing, right? Where the old movie really, really didn't, where the police department has this corruption and has bribery in it, but we're led to believe that for some reason the giant corporation doesn't have corruption or bribery in it, right? Like, it is merely out for its own interest in a way that is totally to be expected. Whereas in the old RoboCop, of course, like, the corporate executives are portrayed as just as terrible as the worst cops, and, right? Well, like, and the ultimate villain. I mean, I, I would say that yeah. the way I remember the, the initial thing, the cops are largely sympathetic in the yeah. initial RoboCop. And indeed, I'm thinking more of, um, of RoboCop too, especially when there's a um, when there's a situation where like the police department has basically been bought by a company, and all the police officers sort of quit and basically became a rogue militia to defend the citizens of Detroit against this company that is trying to like steamroll like major neighborhoods to build condos for the Japanese. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. And so the, the, the police are like sort of like they're doing a very difficult job because they, they care, whereas that the company is just trying to like bleed the community dry. Yeah. Now, the, the, to step back a little bit to what you were saying before, Matt, uh, the issue that the new – Wait, Robo- wait, wait. Which, What's up? which Matt? Oh, <laughs> so Belinky was saying before – and I'll slow down a little bit because I get excited about RoboCop, guys. I'm not going to lie. I went to go see this movie in a driving blizzard in a terrible weather emergency, <laughs> right? Like, there were 12 people in the theater, and not just because it was a RoboCop reboot, because, like, people, like, people were telling you to stay off the road. They, they trudged right? there with the, the sleet lashing at their gritted teeth. Exactly. Like, you know, God bless my girlfriend for going with me to see this movie in the storm. Um, and you know what? God bless the people who made it for making it just good enough that she didn't regret making the trip. But, uh, but so the occasion for this movie, is, for the new RoboCop movie, is very much anchored on the question of drones, the question of uh, autonomous, uh, you know, automated aircraft machinery uh, operating for surveillance purposes, for military purposes. And it is about specifically the constitutional question of whether the United States of America should allow these sorts of drones to operate domestically when it has been generally comfortable 
to an extent that it ever acts collectively on a thing to allow them to operate internationally. So it like opens up with a scene of all of these OCP robots that look like the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica, uh, basically doing a Nazi-esque lockdown of Tehran, where they're like bringing everybody out in the street and searching everybody, and they end up shooting a child for brandishing a knife, right? And it's like they, they were led to understand that the OCP has been providing robots to the military for these hardcore crackdowns on foreign cities, and that they, are, they exist everywhere in the world, uh, and that they don't exist in America because the Constitution won't allow it and because the Senate has banned it, right? And so um, – well, not the Constitution won't allow it, but the, the Constitution – Right, I was going to say, they're like, really? <laughs> no, the, the Constitution empowers the Senate to block it from happening. Uh, and th- this is all ta- told to you, by the way, by Samuel L. Jackson playing a hopelessly corrupt uh, television personality. We got we got to talk about him, uh, right? Oh, because yeah. I mean, you can you can jump to him whenever you want. This is a this is a like a Verhoeven esque move. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, to to insert a well, it's not exactly a chorus because a chorus is not sort of that transparently villainous right a chorus is meant to like i don't know represent the the actual legitimate thoughts of the people of athens and what they might be concerned about and how they might react to you know the goings-on among among the gods or the heroes or whatever um but he is uh uh he it's it's a it's a little bit it's a little bit ham-fisted but i wonder you know, I don't know. I wonder. It's a uh, it's a Brazilian director, isn't it? And I don't I don't know um, a, a great deal about his work. And I, I you know I wonder if he is if he has the same sort of political filmmaking uh, tendencies that 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 Paul Verhoeven has. Um, but I do uh, I do want to know more. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. So go ahead, Matt. Yeah. Okay. So well, anyway, I, I will jump in. And what what I'll say is um, that it is really apparent that I was it Jose Padilla. Anybody else working on this movie watched the original RoboCop, liked the original RoboCop, decided to incorporate aspects of the original RoboCop into this movie. They they are like, oh, this scene is in the original RoboCop is really cool. Let's do this scene in this movie too. Oh, this other thing that's happening in this original RoboCop is cool. Except this uh, this new movie is serving an entirely different purpose. Right. Uh, and then and that's really and that's sort of. What I really liked about the movie is that the movie is using the cultural vocabulary that was established by the original RoboCop, which is a very complex and very nuanced and kind of difficult to pin down sort of vocabulary. This idea of the hero that we abhor and that like can't remember itself, but that we also cheer for because we don't know if we're real or we're machines, right? Like this idea of private and public sector and heroism and independence versus public service, all these things being bound Wound up in this very loaded symbol uh, that you know we can cheer for, but at the same time fear, but not fear it, fear sort of what it fears and what it represents, right? Like RoboCop has all this cool stuff bound up in it, and this is a movie that is about. American foreign policy, American domestic policy, foreign and domestic policy in general across the world, and just the role of machines in contemporary life and the role of corporations and designed experiences and products in contemporary life. Um, and it's using these things to tell this different sort of story. So it is a Verhoeven-esque move, but I don't think it's a coincidental Verhoeven-esque move in the sense that this person also thinks like Verhoeven. It's they think that they wanted to have some piece of the movie that, that 
was similar to the thing that really worked in Verhoeven about the media and the way that the, the media portrays people, right? And, and how is a media portrayal of a person who isn't really a real person similar or different from a robot person? Um, right, because the the original Robocop is full of all these things, these like simulacra of people, the the busty blondes with with Bixby Snyder, and the, I'll buy that for a dollar. None of them are real people. Everybody's looking at them and laughing. You know, the people on the news in the Robocop aren't real people. They're they're speaking like zombies in front of all these horrible things are happening, but people are watching them. And then here Robocop comes out, and he's not re- he's a horrible abomination, and he doesn't even know who he is. But we're all cheering for Robocop, so it indicts all of us collectively in this whole experience. So I think the new movie is saying that's cool, but what the new movie doesn't do is it doesn't like break down a cogent – it really has a very cogent surface-level understanding. It really buys into the idea of like society – like, like society exists in a coherent way and there are issues that actually exist and things that are actually happening that we can like debate in a cogent manner. And they may be difficult questions, but they are not like irreconcilable questions. Um, whereas the original Robocop is much more sort of semi-tragic and messianic and about, you know, this sort of like just this, this eruption of different feelings and thoughts and ideas that, that doesn't really come to a comfortable conclusion. But this is mostly like, hey, let's pose the question of whether we should have Robocops. Like, let's just ask it, right? And let's see what RoboCop can teach us about this. Let's have an adventure that explores it. And it comes up with the, the answer that, like, we probably shouldn't, I guess. <laughs> you know, but it's not an answer that's, like, deeply troubling. It's, like, complex. You know, it's surface-level complex. Um, like, it, it, there's no, like, I don't know. I, I'm, is I'm that, are you saying, is that, is that your claim for the, the, the original movie, the Verhoeven movie, or this one? Oh, this one. Like, this, this movie doesn't, <clears throat> its movie doesn't break down. Like, like um, in, uh, the best, I think, the, to take it to a point, to take it to a level that's a lot more intuitive, let's talk about, like, RoboCop's, Alex Murphy's death that makes him into RoboCop. Yeah. Right? So, so this is a really important part of the story. When, in the original RoboCop movie... And again, I really I hate to be the guy who's like the original is better, so I'll try to put that aside. But it's important for comparison. Um, so in the original RoboCop movie, Alex Murphy is is killed brutally, and he is aw- probably the most violent thing I've ever seen in, <laughs> in a rated R movie. <laughs> it's 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 awful. Um, it's just oh my goodness. And um, he's killed brutally, and he is totally dead, and he awakens to a series of brief video clips that are obviously happening through some sort of video camera uh, where he sees snippets of people kind of looking at him and prodding him and dealing with him that are supposedly happening over the course of weeks or months. There's no real explanation or through line of what happens, right? But it's like there's a definite sort of like dreaming and waking and falling asleep and I'm not really alive or am I dead? And then when he comes back, he doesn't remember who he is or like pretty much anything that happens, right? Or at least they have to wipe it and he's just like, he's just annihilated, right? Um, and in this movie, in the new movie, Alex Murphy gets hit by a car bomb and is, he is seriously injured, but the soul still burns, right? Like he's like, he's, he's alive. He loses most of his body, but he still has his hand and he has, so at one point, Gary Oldman, who's the new doctor, uh, who's also such a nicer character than any of the 
uh, doctors in RoboCop, they like they they pull apart his body and he looks at himself. Like RoboCop regards himself with full memories of everything that's happened, and is just like I have made the decision to die, right? Like I have made the decision that I don't want to go on living like this horrible thing that you've made me. And Gary Oldman is like, this is your situation. You have to, right? Your wife has has signed a release form that this should happen. She wants you to do this. You should do this in order to be with her. The very idea that RoboCop has a choice as to whether or not he becomes RoboCop. Um, again, I mean, I've talked about that whole you have a choice thing. But more importantly, the idea that RoboCop doesn't actually die, that his identity isn't actually destroyed, right? Like, yes, they dopamine him down, they take away his emotions, but that he's not sort of shattered into a million pieces and built back together. Uh, I feel like that sort of fundamentally changes what the movie is saying about identity and people and, and our lives and ourselves. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I I don't know. My my sense of the movie was that it it that it came down in a slightly different a slightly different place. Um, wh- what is the alternative that the film presents to the inexorable march of RoboCops forward? Right? Like, is is it possible? The, the idea that the, that uh, what you say about the film that it makes the case that yeah probably not a great idea to have RoboCops like is there an alternative in this film? My sense well, was that the film was kind of tragic in the sense that like RoboCops are our destiny, ready or not, you know? Yeah, the, well, he says that totally. Yeah, and it's it's right they're they're coming like the yeah. the the stomp 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 of his the. Bump of his heavy boots on the ground, right? Yeah. Uh, it, you can hear it off in the in the middle distance, uh, approaching. And and so the question is, uh, the question is not uh, whether RoboCops, but rather whether RoboCops, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like whose RoboCops are are we going to have? Who's going to who who will RoboCop the RoboCops? Uh, yeah. Who's you know right like. And there is no, there is also like no alternative to uh, to corporate greed, right? In in the original RoboCop, and I I'm a lot less up on it. I've seen it a lot less recently, or I remember it a lot less well than than an expert like you, Pete. But the the uh, it the cops are threatening to strike, right? Mm-hmm. So presumably there's a union and there's the possibility of collective political action that you know that could have some effect on the world, right? There is an alternative to just unfettered uh, g- capitalism by, uh, you know, at, at the level of the, the multinational corporation. Yeah. Well, in the new RoboCop, the thing that's missing is an actual problem, right? Like, there's no crime that's really all that bad. We have a very... Detroit is not a war zone on the verge of, like, anarchy. No, not even. You barely see okay. Detroit. One of the things that's, that I noticed about this movie is, especially in the first hour or so of the movie, you rarely see anyone who isn't enjoying a very comfortable, at least middle-class sort of lifestyle. Right? Like, there is, oh, there is precisely... What, what's up? No, I think, I think that's very interesting, and that's a big change. And even when Robocop yeah. heads into the hood to, uh, to get the gun dealer... Right, yeah. who's going to lead him to the bad guy? And I, yeah. you know, I don't remember any of these names, and frankly, I don't care to remember any of these names. Thank you. Yeah. Um, right, like it, it is not that bad, you know. Yeah. Right, it, it looks like a, it looks like a, a decent working class neighborhood, 
Yeah, and, exactly. It's, and it's not, just a, like, like a, yeah. not a dystopian urban hellscape. Yeah. Basically, it's there's a lot of people who are living among us and are doing business illegally in a variety of ways. We don't know who they are, and we don't really notice them. But RoboCop knows who they are, and he's going to put them in jail. Right? Like, it's – yes, they do reference – like, they sort of say at times, oh, this person murdered a bunch of people, and this person did a bunch of bad stuff. But they don't really show it. And there's nothing anywhere close to the sneering villainy, right? Just the glorious sneering villainy in the first RoboCop. Um, I mean, just that, just the wonderful scene in the uh, in the in the drug factory where the guys are all whipping out their guns against each other, and and the the dad from that '70s show is sticking his fingers in the wine glass and licking them as he's like telling the guy that he he wants to see the Tigers game tonight, so don't make any funny moves. You know, like there's <laughs> just like the the there's just this 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 fear. Ro- RoboCop has this way, and I mean, life has this way of showing you cities that scare you, and that's. That's what that's the impulse that RoboCop emerges from as a cop. That's really the thing. That's the bottom line is that in the new movie RoboCop isn't a cop. RoboCop isn't a police officer. He's like a he's like a unit for for control. He's a search unit, but he doesn't fill the social role of a police officer in projecting that kind of discourse, you know, for lack of a better well, word. It yeah. seems it's like if, if there's a reason for the new RoboCop to exist, it's more economic than than crime right, right, right. right. The, the yeah. RoboCop is protecting a monopoly on violence, right? On the use, on the coercive use of violence, right? And in, in, in this film proposes that, that whether you like it or not, violence is uh, at the service of capital, you know? That is to say, the the corporation the corporation has its own fleet of the of the at at robots, right? <laughs> the ED two hundred nines. There you go. Uh, that are you know that are guarding the lobby. They and they they could be any piece of of corporate lobby art, right? Because they're very shiny and made of metal and you know two stories high and. Uh, uh, you know I, that this this sort of this sort of private this sort of private army, um, it the the statement that it makes and and it makes this statement without a lot of uh, with with a lot of heavy ironization through the the Samuel L Jackson character but without a lot of hope that things could be different which is why I call it a a, a tragedy and not a like a critique yeah. or a satire or something like that. Um, cause there, there really seems to be no alternative. Um, what it, what it's saying is that like in, in the, the, uh, Viberian definition of a state, which is that a state is a monopoly on the legitimate use of violence, right? The, the state has outsourced <laughs> its, its function as the, uh, as the, you know, deployer of, of violence to private interests and there's nothing that any of us really can do about that. And and Robocop Robocop is the defender, right? Is is there to sort of comfort the comfortable, uh, in the words of, <laughs> of David <laughs> in the words of David Simon, and kind of uh not not even mock the afflicted, which is what David Simon says, but but sort of decimate the afflicted, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just the, the, the thing, the, the dynamic of this RoboCop 
it, there's even a PowerPoint presentation inside the movie telling you about how much money the OCP or Omnicorp, as it were, is going to make from producing not RoboCops but fully mechanized machines. RoboCop is a stunt to try to get people on board with fully, well, basically not even people on board with fully automated uh, domestic law enforcement, but simply to stop really, really strongly opposing its legalization. All they have to do is make it legal, and then they'll take care of the rest, right? But here's the thing, is that, like, the problem of crime, particularly the problem of crime in Detroit, uh, or the problem of crime in the old RoboCop, as it was predicted accurately, uh, is, is something that um, happens all over the city. And it is a problem that also has to do with the, the diminished resources and budget of public institutions. It's the idea that Detroit goes bankrupt in the original RoboCop, and OCP buys it, right, and is, is taking over. There's old Detroit and there's new Detroit. There's public sector Detroit and there's private sector Detroit. And there's an area that still remains in old Detroit that's sort of outside of the new city uh, that is not a benefit from the protections of the new city. So the question is, if you have all of these places where people live, where they don't have the money to pay police officers, how are they going to be able to pay for RoboCops? Right? Are they going to get RoboCops? Like, that's not the solution, right? Certainly parts of that area will have RoboCops. Certainly parts of them will have drones. Certainly parts of them will have this sort of mechanized stuff. But, you know, like, you know, drone 1-1's a joke in your town. You know, like, you can't even get an ambulance to come in some places, right? And it's not like... It's it's not like although those it, the car it, is insufficient for driving down a street. Although so. it, it strikes me that because of this sort of perverse and and I even got some of this from the trailer that because of the sort of perverse incentives of the military industrial complex, perhaps there is money for RoboCops that there is not money for regular cops. Yes, yes. Or, or there's money. Bizarre. Certainly, there's money for drones that there would not be for simply paying police officers a, a decent wage, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the question rises: how, uh, What would happen if there were a bunch of small local companies that were all trying to locally source their own competing brands of RoboCops? I mean, back in the day in America, mm-hmm. I mean, we see this in gangs of New York, right? The different private fire departments would get in brawls over who would get to put out the fire at a given house, so that the people would pay them, right? So, like, what would but stop? It's not, I mean, it's it's not even that because because the fire department was a protection racket you know and so the fire department would arrive and just sit there and watch the house burn if they had not already been paid you know by the by the um uh by you know by the occupants of the house but uh yeah yeah yeah. it's where 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 is the money who who pays the robocops i mean the robocops don't need to eat I suppose. Yeah. Well, um, but we can't even manufacture a RoboCop in the United States anymore, right? That's what that's, that's what this movie is telling us that that when he dies, when he wakes up, everyone has flown to China, you know, and they are in a Foxconn they're in a Foxconn-esque factory. And can we just talk about the, the this sequence in the movie, right? Like where uh where it, and it's the avatar moment, right? Because it's what happens to to Sam Worthington when he wakes up in the blue panther body. Um, he starts running and, like, goes outside the perimeter or something, right? Uh, RoboCop uh, is pissed off about being RoboCop. Yeah. He, you know, <laughs> Rightfully so. That's reasonable. <laughs> he's, and, in fact, he's not even really RoboCop. RoboCop is like a marketing word, whereas in, in the original film, it's like, this is the new identity. He's no longer the guy. He is RoboCop. Yeah. Um, and, and in this film, he's still always, he's still always the guy, or at least there is yeah. a guy in there who sort Detective of, Murphy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
who they refer to him as Detective Murphy, even when his brain has effectively been shut off. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. See, I'm curious about this. Can we can we double back just a little bit to the question of identity? Mm-hmm. Because Pete, you were you were alluding to this earlier in the original movie. There is a lot invested in the idea that like after he dies, this company owns him, and they they don't want to even admit that he used to be a person, right? And there's a bunch of things where his his former his former partner, Officer Lewis. Is is trying to is like you know hey I recognize that guy he used to be my partner and I'm I'm hold on I'm I'm trying to dig up uh, quotes from yeah so I'm on IMDb and um she she tries to ask Robocop his name and a representative of the company gets in the way and says let me make something clear to you he doesn't have a name he has a program he has a product and then of course the last lines of Robocop which I I feel are certain, certainly iconic is that like after he's he's wiped out the bad guy and he sort of puts away the gun uh this this guy sort of goes to him he's like nice shooting son what's your name and he's like it's murphy right instead of yeah. instead of it being like you know like the the dark man or, or spider-man yeah. where he's like you know i'm yeah. robocop yeah it's like no he he has actually reclaimed his identity and they, they tried to make him robocop and he's sort of self-identifying as a previous as i am previous i am the identity. terror that whirs in chunks in the night right <laughs> chunk <laughs> chunk yeah. So this this seems a little different in that like nobody ever denied that he was still a person, and they in fact appealed to his humanity, trying to get him to accept his new sort of lot in life. Yes, they do. And then what happens is he gets so stressed out because he actually because he has a. Uh, he has closed circuit footage of every crime that's happened in Detroit over the last X period of time that he becomes so stressed out with PTSD watching and rewatching videos of his own murder that they have to shut down the part they have to shut down the dopamine levels in his brain which i'm sure wouldn't actually do this but they have to basically they manipulate the neurotransmitter levels in his brain so that he loses the capacity for emotion right and so he becomes emotionless and the, and the program sort of takes over and they also do rejigger the program so that he thinks that he is in control of the robot when really the robot is in control of him uh, but they do try to convince him to just sort of play nice and be robocop and in the end he he, he doesn't want to do it he can't do it uh, I mean, he has a scene where his they, they replaced they replaced Officer Lewis with Detective Lewis, played by Omar from The Wire, right? <laughs> the best line in the movie, bar none, which is kind of sad that it is, but it was so funny in the movie. It it saved the movie because the movie the first hour of the movie is pretty slow and disengaged, and it gets better. But there's the movie where Robocop shows up in his like tactical black armor with the robot six pack, yeah. right? Which is so stupid because it did. But anyway, because it's like, oh, you know what Robocop needed to be thinner that's what robocop needed to be he was too fat um but uh and now he needs to be like he needs to look like an aeon flux character but no uh and he meets he meets uh, omar from the wire and omar from the wires and he's like this is i'm a little uneasy with the situation of you being a cyborg but you know what at least you're the right color right and he jokes with him you know? <laughs> and that's like the, that's the best line in the movie except for perhaps the final speech from samuel L. jackson but that movie that line like turns the movie around but the thing is that like at this point in the movie we're in the second act and like the partner's fine like everything's fine and it only happens like later when robocop shows up and is like zomboed out on like, robo you changed man yeah <laughs> totally not the robocop that i knew <laughs> like, like ever since you lost 90 percent of your internal organs you're different <laughs> yeah Whereas, you know, yeah, so it's 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 a more venal sort of identity loss. Although, is, and yeah. although 
I yeah. mean, I, I definitely remember these scenes in the in the original RoboCop where they they go out of their way to make him seem like a like a freak, like a monster, right? Like he's yeah. become this horrible Frankenstein. And they they I remember the, the scene where they show this paste that he has to consume, and it's the most <laughs> disgusting paste. They're like feed of this paste, and they like have this close up of the of the gray goo that he has to eat, and it's yeah. like like God, like this this guy is he's a thing, right? And yeah. then then the rest of the arc of the movie sort of becomes. You know, re- him reclaiming his humanity and having these moments where he he begins to remember his past, and he sort of breaks yeah. free of the programming. Where this seems this seems like a little more of a complicated but maybe less good arc, where he sort of like he goes from being a human to being partially robotic, but he's still pretty much him. Mm-hmm. And then they they try to make him more of a robot, and he and he, I presumably at the end he pushes back against that, and he he regains a certain equilibrium where like he's he's part man, he's part machine, he's all cop. Yeah, the what end. they do with the what they do with the baby food is actually really interesting, and I thought really it's smart, um, and it's and it's it's definitely reflects what the movie's about. It leads to a less effective movie, but it shows you where they're operating from. Instead of being fed the baby food, the gross baby food stuff, RoboCop has to go through a process that is really similar to dialysis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he has to get hooked up to a bunch of tubes, and he has to have his blood proteins purified. By and and like he has to, and then they inject nutrition into it. But the, as they, as the the I guess nurse, for lack of a better term, is describing what happens to RoboCop, it really sounds Her like he's name on dialysis. Is Mrs. Who what where? <laughs> Mrs. Who what where? Mrs. Who what where is describing everything that is happening in the scene that you're currently watching, which also has a heads up display that's telling you everything that's currently <laughs> happening, and machines with labels on them that are also telling you what's currently happening. She she explains to you that basically Robocop has had kidney has no kidneys anymore and needs to go through dialysis. So everything is made more sensible. Like everything is made into a thing that's easier to understand and does not threaten the idea of selfhood right it's like oh i know people who are on dialysis it also raises it also goes in what matt, in the direction of what matt was talking about in that we are already in robocop land you know as you said this isn't a fantasy anymore there are people who have to be hooked up to machines every day to survive and you know lots of them you know millions of them hydrate people kidney health is very important right like this is something you know people live with machines attached to them right. um you and, know and some yeah. some of them might even say maybe against their will that like this is this is getting into darker territory, but yeah. like the idea that like maybe maybe they're gonna make you Robocop whether you like it or not. You know, that, that maybe you don't have a choice anymore, that you're gonna get sick and they're gonna make you at a Robocop even though like you wouldn't have chosen that kind of a Hey, life hey, for look, Matt, you can you can choose not to be Robocop. And by the way, this is actually the argument in the movie. You can choose not to be Robocop, but haven't your wife and kid been through enough? <laughs> <laughs> would you really do that? Would you really do that to them to not be RoboCop and make your wife and kid really sad if you're not RoboCop? But does he? So does he then? Like you know, when when he's done with the RoboCop surgery and RoboCop training, does he then like go home and he's like, "Hey, I'm back for rehab." Yeah. He goes home and he's this kid. It's so sweet. The kid is like, hey, the kid is a big uh, Detroit Red Wings fan, and he has a little kind of futuristic handheld uh, streaming video streaming device. And he's like, oh, dad, you know, I, I I saved all the Red Wings games on my computer so that we can watch them together while you were while you were in surgery in the hospital. And he and it's like, uh, oh, he's like, oh, how did they do? And he's like, I don't know. I haven't watched them yet. Oh. And it's like, oh. I know. I, I actually made an audible oh noise yeah. I mean, in that the film. movie 
has moments like that where it really does have sentimental moments and, and it has funny moments and fun moments and action moments. It's just, you know, I mean, so that's why I feel bad always compared to the original. But the point is that, well, Robocop is on dialysis and Robocop has a lot of stuff he has to do and he works for the corporation. Then Robocop can't really live at home because he has to be at work. So, you know, it's like kind of unfortunate. He never, he never takes his kid to like the hockey game. How amazing would that be, right? If like RoboCop goes on the ice at the Detroit Red Wings game yes. and like scores a goal, uh, but no, that does not happen. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it seems it seems to me just the the idea that like he he could go through this and continue to be treated like a regular person is is oh, yeah. crazy. It is. Um, I mean, the idea that a regular person wouldn't just have a total freaking psychotic break, you know, he sheds like a or, single. Or that the, that the kid would be able to accept it. Right. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Can, I just think. Yeah. Uh, sorry, can we go back to to China? If it, it, it's <laughs> a time, I, I just I never sure. quite finished my my arc about China that that I want to take right, which is that when he's made into RoboCop, he uh, he starts running like Forrest Gump or something. And yeah, he's, <laughs> it's a lot like Forrest Gump, exactly. Run, Forrest, <laughs> run, RoboCop, run. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so he he bursts out of the lab where there are a lot of, you know, highly educated and we can imagine fairly privileged uh, scientists and, you know, uh, technicians and things like this. He goes into a uh, into a different lab that seems slightly less high tech from there bursts into a, a factory floor. In which, you know, row upon row of sort of Foxconn-esque, you know, workers in clean suits and uh, face masks and hairnets and and all this are, you know, slaving away over what we might assume are semiconductors or or something like this. And then bursts out uh, into the yard where there are... um, uh, giant Star Wars walkers, you know, uh, guarding the the. I, I forget the model. Ed two hundred nine. Thank called you. Ed two hundred nine. I, I I don't remember the model name, nor do I care to. Jumps over the fence and ends up in rice paddies, right where where there are you know farmers working just outside the border of this special economic zone that holds. Uh, Omnicorp or OCP or the Omnicorp is a subsidiary of of OCP. Um, in in the in the film, which I I guess sets us up for a sequel or something. Uh, yeah, I guess it but, sounds like OCP is going to be the big bad guy, and whereas Omnicorp was sort of more Appleish and and nicer. I yeah, guess. it was a, well, it was a mini boss, right? Yeah, yeah. So the so, the, so he goes through successively sort of higher level uh, higher levels of exploitation and lower levels of privilege, right? Yes. And and. The film, while while it, I don't know. There, there's nothing like the the villainy, but it's clear that the the corporate guys and Samuel L. Jackson uh, are all you know um, on the take and and corrupt and and they're terrible. Um, not so the United States Senate, though, right? Which is the the last bastion of of honor and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, public interest in the new RoboCop. Movie. I can't even. I can't even deal. I just can't even deal. <laughs> right. And like the last bastion of hope in the universe, the last place where justice and truth and right thinking is is the is the U.S. Senate is Congress. Yeah, it's Congress. Is <laughs> the deal that they're holding out against domestic drones just because it's the right thing to do, and they're they're resisting the lobbying, and they're also like, yeah, and they're have they're a greater duty. To they're us. super unpopular. You get yeah, the yeah. sense. The the RoboCop does turn the tide. So like. Uh, Yes, I suppose all these corporate guys are are 
are corrupt and they're not good guys. But the the economic, the basic economic organization on which this sort of multinational conglomerate with its, you know, you assume obscene profits uh, is predicated, right, is is left completely unquestioned. Right. Like it's it's never asked, you know, hey, why are some of us standing on assembly lines, losing our vision, doing, uh, you know, work on on tiny microchips 18 hours a day? And some of us are out breaking our backs in the rice paddies. And and uh, and yet Michael Keaton gets to live in a, a, you know, high ceilinged white box. Yeah. Right. That was one thing I always liked about Jack Bauer is you never really got the sense that he was doing it for a fancy house. You know, like it's 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 like if you it's more like if you can press if you can rely on a superheroic uh, device of some sort, be it biological or mechanical, to protect your privilege around the world and to protect your way of life without really questioning it at all. Like there has to be something pretty crazy, and there has to be some sort of manifestation of the general suffering of the people underfoot right like it's like your boot is on top of the spikes of your boot which are on top of the people beneath the spikes of your boot uh, is what i'm sort of saying and it's that like part of the charm of jack bauer is that you can look in his eyes and you can sort of smell the shoe leather of the boot beneath which he is the spikes right like and you can sort of see the pain of the pressure of the boot that's coming down on him as it comes down on you right like and and the original robocop is like that too where it's like i just i just love <laughs> the moment where right out again the same scene and i rewatched it because it's one of the few robocop scenes in youtube on its entirety where he just takes out the drug lab which is taken and improved i think from a fight choreography standpoint but not from like a meaning standpoint for for the new movie also not and, you know, from a, not from a piles of cocaine blowing <laughs> into the air standpoint <laughs> in white poofy clouds of you know nose oh. candy and so the criminals are all yelling at each other and cursing each other out, threatening to kill each other. And RoboCop walks in and he just says, like, come quietly or there will be trouble. <laughs> right? Like, and it's just the, the sense of that RoboCop has to talk like that. Um, that's another thing that this movie kind of loses. And that, that, can we talk about that for a second? Can we talk about how this, even if we take away all of the complexity and the nuance and we just stare at this movie from the standpoint of how awesome is RoboCop? Uh, the new RoboCop, not as awesome. Even though he's cool and fast and I get the sense that he could beat the old RoboCop in a fight, like, the new RoboCop as a character, like, not that awesome. Um, what do you think that is? I mean, did you feel that way about it? That's how I felt about yeah, it. Yeah, in the, in the old RoboCop, and I, you sent me this scene on YouTube and I watched it, um, he, he just sort of trudges into that gunfire, right? Yeah. And there's this sense that he's unstoppable. He's, he's like a zombie or something like that. He, he, yeah. he really um, – uh, he's not fast, but he's, he's hulking and, and strong, and that's his, uh, that's his power. Um, and there's, there's so much uh, invested in the idea of making the new RoboCop vulnerable, Right, so that he will be, and and I mean literally vulnerable in the Latin sense of like vulnerable, able to yes. be wounded. 
right? Yes. Capable of wounds. Um, yes. That henchman exposition lets you know before each firefight what caliber each gun is. I'm not joking. Like what caliber each like bullet is that's fired at RoboCop, so you know what degree of damage each kind of bullet would do were it to hit RoboCop. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yes. Pete, I've got the 50 cal here in my hand. That's yes, this yes. gun that I'm holding. Is that right big now. enough to hurt? Is that going to hurt RoboCop? Now, a RoboCop? 50 cal okay. is going to take out RoboCop. Okay. Now so you you've got the little poopy gun okay. that's not going to take out RoboCop or even really slow him down. So okay. what I'd like you to do yes. is stand in front of me. Okay. All stand right. Between me See, the, and RoboCop. The difference though is that Matt, Matt, is that in the movie they would refer to mine not as a little poopy gun, but as like the forty-seven caliber. <laughs> right. Right. It's like the fifty caliber and the so it, the fifty is a magic number. Anything less than fifty can't hurt RoboCop. Anything fifty and above can hurt. But the point it is that like they this ha- movie was written by RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> it's got it's got a lot of people like reciting facts and figures and like recapping information to make it clear for like people who like are artistic and cannot follow yeah. like an emotional through line. Yeah, like there's long se- I mean I tell you there's long sequences of a guy who's basically a rehabilitative cybernetic surgeon explaining the value of prosthetics, right? Like this that sounds happened. like regarding Henry in a lot of ways. <laughs> wait, wait, play play your guitar, but but don't have any feelings because feelings mess up the technology he's not joking those are lines from the movie (laughs) they have a (laughs) rope does robocop have to play guitar Oh, there's another guy who has to play it. When they just we, Gary Oldman is in this movie, and and uh, Gary Oldman yeah. like that. Gary Oldman has to say these things. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is a disservice to the brilliant actor who played Emperor Zorg in the Fifth Element. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's given these lines to say that are really tough to say, and he does a great job he's, saying them. He's incredible. He's humane and sympathetic yep. and yep. compassionate. It's. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible, and and you get this sense like very torn, you know, yeah. and very agonized by the position yeah. that that he's put in. He's flawed because he will sacrifice the human element of these things to move his science research forward. Like uh, what what a what an interesting character, and it is entirely not in the writing. Yeah. It is entirely yeah. I mean, in the eyes of Gary Oldman. I will say one of the things that really saves this movie, and I know we've been bashing it relative to one of the best movies ever, but one of the things that saves this movie is that it's kind of a mind control movie, and I hate mind control movies where the guy being mind controlled, the girl being mind controlled, just has to sort of not be mind controlled, and then it's over. Yeah, just what like really, concentrate yeah. really hard, dig up, dig deep, and then you could break, you could break free of the mind control, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's like it's like the yeah. shadow without like Baldwin. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, except without like admitting up front that it's garbage. But uh, <laughs> when, um, oh, not admitting up front, admitting when you're so, opening up the sarcophagus of Genghis Khan. Well, the so point Rob- is that RoboCop just has to just has to not be RoboCop anymore. He has to just decide that like being RoboCop is bad, and he's just sick of it, and he's well, done. The thing that saves the movie, other than the joke about being black from Omar from The Wire, is uh, that it's ultimately not RoboCop's decision. It's ultimately Gary Oldman's character's decision that saves RoboCop. Ultimately, the movie, the, ulti- the, the climactic kind of twist in the movie is that Gary Oldman decides, like, OC, like Omnicorp has decided to retire RoboCop because he's like become a liability. They have to basically pretend that he's dead because there's no way for them to put him out in public without revealing that they've been messing with his brain chemistry. And if they do that, then his wife's going to be onto it and the whole thing 
thing's going to fall apart. So they basically decide that they're going to shut off RoboCop and kill him, and they're just going to pretend that he died in the line of duty. And Gary Oldman, uh, you know, to his credit, acts the heck out of a bunch of lines he doesn't have, right? Like, he just sort of, like, thinks and thinks <laughs> and decides that he's going to save Alex Murphy. Um, that he's going to, like, risk his own life and the life of his assistant to sneak past the corporal military, power military troops, get back into his own lab, and set RoboCop free on an on a, on a executive-killing rampage. Uh, and, that, and that he's going to do it because it's the right thing for him to do. Um, d- despite the fact that he's previously made a deal with Michael Keaton slash Steve Jobs, uh, that he's going to look the other way in exchange for funding and exchange for restitution to the families of the victims. So, like, he, he's already sold out, but he decides not to unsell out to save RoboCop. And that's what makes... And then there is a moment where RoboCop has to, like, shoot Michael Keaton. Um, but you know what? Like, really? the, Yeah. There, there's a... <laughs> but you said Michael Keaton was, like, a pretty nice guy. He is, he, but he decides to decommission RoboCop. That's one of the other big problems with this movie. One of the problems in the movie is that there's no crime that RoboCop actually has to solve that matters. There's just a weird, right. strange gun dealer Ro- guy. RoboCop is a lobbying tool. He's basically like a super pack. Exactly. One of the other problems is that like the big bad, the Michael Keaton character in the movie, the only thing he's done that's really unambiguously wrong is he decides to decommission the RoboCop project. So like it's it's but that's not very motivating where it's like you tried to kill me, so I'm going to kill you. And it's like, oh, well, that's does does he kill Michael Keaton or does he like go Terminator 2 and he's like, I'm going to shoot everybody in the kneecaps to break out of this facility. Oh no! He he busts a cap in his ass. He just totally kills him. Really? Michael, yeah, Michael Keaton has a. Um, there's a whole other aspect to this movie, which is basically better Elysium. Elysium was the movie I wanted to see. Yeah. Before. Oh, right, right. But yeah. but but Elysium. It seems like original Ro- RoboCop had more Elysium with the like the private corporate Detroit in the with Elysium yeah. in the middle of Detroit, right? Yeah, the original RoboCop was more about class than the new RoboCop is, but the new RoboCop is more about exoskeletons than Elysium was. Well, yeah, I mean, the new RoboCop is about is about the false consciousness of the new RoboCop, right? Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a point where like, uh, Gary Oldman says, and again, to his credit, he acts the heck out of this line, but he says, consciousness is just the processing of information, right? And so, like, false RoboConsciousness must be, I don't know, when you, you disregard the economic... Uh, sorry, I hate to, hate to bring everything back to, to my buddy Karl Marx, but um, I, I, I don't know. It seems, it seems germane here. Though, I, I am with you, Pete, now that I consider it, though it's clear that the movie makes, makes the claim that the, the... Not the politicians, but the corporate guys are all venal and... and uh, sort of reprehensible. They don't do anything that's all that bad, right? All, I mean, they already they make the RoboCop abomination, but we came to see RoboCop, so we're willing to forgive that. And you know, like, and it's and so that's fine. And they also there's a sense that maybe they bribed the police. No, it's the drug dealers who bribed the police department, or the arms dealers who bribed the police department. So yeah, but then, I mean, they, they have these things. They have these things, Matt, uh, called red assets, which is a program where if you put a wristband on your wrist that has a red light on it, all of the drones are forbidden from shooting it. It's like going to an all-ages show in a club. It's like going to an all-ages show in a club that serves booze, right? If you have the red wristband on, you can go past the, the rope that separates the floor from the bar. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. And only those people. And the curse will kill you. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> and so Michael Keaton has a red wristband, and also um, the guy from Hard Target who played Rorschach, uh, who is the guy in the exosuit who hates RoboCop. <laughs> he hates RoboCop because of lengthy training montages where he RoboCop made a fool out of him, and they have like a petty Robo rivalry. <laughs> and it's just really, <laughs> it's just very venal. The whole, the whole aspects of the movie that just don't matter. But uh, but yeah, but it's right, so he's, he's Tim Roth from uh, the the Hulk movie, the second Hulk movie with Edward Norton, right? Yes, hit him with the foam. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you know, hey, I'm sort right. of a, I'm sort of an unlikable guy. I bet you hope I get murdered, <laughs> like that sort of thing. <laughs> And it's like, well, what do you know? You do. Um, and uh, but yeah, no, uh, there's definitely a scene where and, and Michael, you know, where Michael Keaton is like, you can't you can't do anything to me. And Robocop has to, like, force his hand up and pull the trigger to shoot him. And so for that one second, he's able to do it. But his system already also kind of shuts down at the same time. And I'm that's kind of disappointing that. that he's actually because one of my I, I, I don't want to give away. Is, is there a spoiler alert for the first Robocop movie or um I mean, is, are, are we done with that? I mean, I, I do really love the ending of the first Robocop movie where he goes to get the CEO of the corporation and he, he cannot do it, right? Because his programming, he is still a machine. He's, he's still Robocop and his programming forbids him from, from, yeah. from shooting or harming or like arresting the head of the corporation until the great moment where like the director of the board or something is just like, you know what? You're fired. And then like <laughs> that, it's, and he just gets a look at his face like he knows what's coming next and Robocop properly like shoots him and and pushes him out of the building at the scene, <laughs> like like kills him in the most dramatic way possible. And I think it's it's a great, it's like a funny moment, but it's also sort of like yeah, what that what um I guess TV tropes would call the crowning moment of awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. and it does really disappoint me that like RoboCop can overcome his programming just by really wanting to. Yeah, um, although the, like it doesn't solve the problem. But anyway, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying, yeah. saying another one of those that really annoys me is uh, in, in uh, Terminator 3, which I think we can all, we can all uh, join forces in hating. <laughs> um, and and there, there is a scene where uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator has been mind-controlled by the, by the new, better Terminator. And, uh, and uh, John Connor gives him the, the you-have-a-choice speech, yes. um, which is, is just the most ridiculous, really, of, in, in a terrible movie. It's the worst possible scene because it really just it doesn't make any sense. And it goes against like, everything that any of those movies have to say about people versus machines. And, and, and the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator, through a great force of will, instead of killing John Connor, merely destroys a car. Literally beats the car to death with his bare hands and then shuts himself down. Yeah. Um, I, I do not like it. And it's, this, this sounds similar where he's just like, you know what? I'm a machine, but I'm just going to I'm going to forget about that long enough to kill you. But like, if you have, a, if you're making a movie about the evils of the iPhone, like, what point is there in murdering Steve Jobs at the end of the movie? Um, especially if you don't do it in like a theatrical, over-the-top, demonstrative kind of way. You know, like you you shoot him a couple times on a rooftop as he's trying to escape by a helicopter. Right, he, and he, he falls and he falls down on the on the ground. Right, it's not yes. like he falls off the the side of the building or anything. What happens next, though, is this giant Google Earth-style pullout from the helicopter pad up to, you know, an aerial view of Detroit from space or something like that. And it's, uh, you know, that is the the sort of grand over-the-top gesture that attends this this CEO's uh, killing, uh, though it doesn't, I I don't know, it's, it's unearned, right? 
Yeah, and also it doesn't resolve anything because RoboCop, the original RoboCop movie, is about the journey of RoboCop. That is like the driving, the journey of Alex Murphy is what drives the movie. That's the main conflict. Is like how is this person going to find himself, you know, through this whole situation and the people who've wronged him. The new RoboCop movie is about the politics and it's about the robots and their role in society and that's the main conflict the main conflict is not between alex murphy and any other character in the movie like alex murphy doesn't i don't think he i mean he's literally his ability to care is shut off right like and he just doesn't give a crap for like a bunch of the movie and yeah it's kind of bad that he can't be with his kids but he never does go back and watch the red wings games like the you know the movie ends with him killing the ceo but the bill was still re- re- overturned, and we're led to think that, what, the president vetoes it, right? So, so this is the sequence of events that happens at the end of the RoboCop movie. So the CEO of the company that made RoboCop is murdered on the top of his building by RoboCop. By his own product. Al- by his own product, who it's already been told to the media has been malfunctioning and killing people. Um, because of this and the uncertainty around this whole situation and everything that comes out about it, the president decides to veto the Senate's bill to repeal the domestic ban on drone use, um, which I suppose is a stopgap measure of some sort that will temporarily pause what happens. But we've never met the president in this movie. Like there was a senator who shows up in, a, in sort of some Tupac hologram scenes to debate people in, uh, on television uh, and also to debate them in the Senate, not in a Tupac hologram. But why would you focus on the not Tupac hologram <laughs> scenes when you could focus on the Tupac hologram scenes? So like we know the senators. We know Samuel L. Jackson's character. We know like the CEO. We know these people who are the players. But the idea that there's like, there's like an old school deus ex machina where the president fixes it right like i mean so so when when all else fails right when the last bastion of goodness and rightness in the world the last bulwark against the march of evil the united states congress fails in its duty and falls to the corrupt corporate interests the, you know what the world is going to be saved by the veto power of the office of the president <laughs> <laughs> checks and balances people it's thank, all about checks and thank balances thank goodness and yeah. and i'm glad because that guy has a phone and he has a pen <laughs> he's going to save america he has a holographic <laughs> phone and a second <laughs> pen I really hope that the end of new RoboCop 2, if they make it, is like the president finally decides to like sign into law the bill that makes it legal for there to be drones, and then the Supreme Court overturns it after <laughs> after like yet another corporate executive is executed in the street. Uh, it's like, all right, Robo let's court. do this again. Uh, but again, for all this, the movie isn't it isn't it's better than Elysium because it has more of its eyes on the prize and it says more about the thing that it's about. Um, and I did like that, uh, and I did think it was fun and funny and good, and and I'm not surprised it didn't really do that well because it didn't really make a case for itself, and all the robot. No, right, right, robot- right, absolutely, right, absolutely. Yeah. When Gary Oldman is really kind of the protagonist of your film, yeah, you know, uh, it, that is not called Gary Oldman. Yeah, like Tinker, we all love Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, right? But like nobody thinks it's going to get Bafo numbers. Yeah, no one, no one wants to spend a hundred million dollars making Tinker Tailor Soldier yeah. Spy. Exactly. So, but also just the robot design wasn't that inspired. And I think that that, it, I think our good friend of the show, Bear McCreary, pointed this out on Facebook, saying that the, the robots in this movie and the Robocop all look like Cylons from the Battlestar Galactica reboot. They, have, they don't have very, like, striking or novel or interesting character designs. And I think it's easy to, to underappreciate what a big difference an actual kind of cool robot would have made in this movie. 
Um, you know, ED-209s are in it, but they were in the first one. And they don't have the benefit in this one of awkwardly falling down the stairs in stop motion, which was just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> like we do to the giant killer robot walker mech, like can't negotiate the spiral staircase and falls down. So I, I want to uh-huh. get at something here. Is at the end of the movie, what is RoboCop's sort of status vis-a-vis his job and the people of Detroit... Oh, is that like is, is he just walking the beat? Is it and has he been accepted by the populace? Because in the the first movie, it's sort of implied that like he's he's kind of a hero and he's been accepted, and the other cops are like, "You're you're okay, RoboCop." Yeah, I actually really like this. I actually really really like this movie because the last thing you see of RoboCop is he gets a new suit, right? And the new suit is the silver and black suit. Like the okay. like original, he gets a he gets a silver and black suit that looks a little bit more like the original RoboCop suit, and it has a D- Detroit Police Department badge on it rather than an OCP corporate logo on it. So he gets a police RoboCop suit, and he's last seen like they're saying, "Well, they say that he doesn't exist, but people have been seeing him, maybe walking around the police department." And you kind of see him what? through a window. <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of stupid. <laughs> there's a RoboCop out like- there. They say that there's a guy filing in the evidence department. <laughs> department. So he's like, he's doing a municipal he's... trash collection. Those <laughs> those barrels are not going to lift themselves, people. And if you've ever lifted a, a you know big can of wet trash, it is no joke. You need servo actuated arms and legs in order just, to have just... that thing up. Just because he's robo-police doesn't mean he can't be good police, all right? He's doing the important work behind the scenes. Somebody has to go over to the the, bureau, the county clerk and request all the deeds for all the houses that are being used for the human trafficking operation. And so they just put a big trench coat on RoboCop so nobody can see who he is, and he walks over there. Um, you know, I actually think, like, more, more necessary than a RoboCop would be, like, a robo-assisted DA. Yeah. You know, just, just think about it. Like you need to process so many just like boring yeah. claims and motions and like research. Like think about how how many episodes of Law and Order would have ended quicker if like instead of like having these montages where like they have to go through like reams of paperwork to find like all the you know to to to, to rebut their counter arguments that like RoboCop could literally just like rattle off like the the Supreme Court precedents. For yeah. for why they, uh, like 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 why they, he's allowed to use that evidence that was that was seized in the search of the, the you know the, the RV or whatever it is. I mean, for all of it, for all of the talk about who's getting replaced by what, it seems like it would be easier to replace a robot, a lawyer with a robot, than an actual beat police officer who has to like walk upstairs and into houses. <laughs> but whatever. I feel like I really want to see like a variation of Law and Order where like one half is like the RoboCop and the other half is like the Robo DA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got to have made that, right? That has to exist, right? I mean, it's so obvious, and they've made every other possible permutation of this show. How can they not have RoboCop and Robo Order? Like, you know, that, like, how can I'm that sorry that like Jerry Orbach did not live long enough to be RoboCop's partner. In this Jerry remake. Orbach is in a secret uh, Omni Corporation bunker <laughs> deep below the Himalaya Mountains, being reconstructed. Oh, too a- soon. Too oh. soon. I waited so long with that one. How is that too soon? <laughs> too soon. For Jerry Orbach is. All I'm saying is somewhere there is an Orbach happening. 
Uh, well, you know it's not happening in just a minute, this podcast. Um, if you would like to, to join the conversation about RoboCop, leave, uh, leave a comment in the show notes for this episode or call the number that no one ever calls or email the address that no one ever emails. Oh, come uh, on. People email the address. I get emails sometimes about ancient Egypt. <laughs> that, is, that is an excellent point. Those came to, those came to editor at, though. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I'm sure those students were very happy that you took the time to comment on their papers. Uh, we will uh, be back next week with more Overthinking It podcasts. Until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. So Pete Fenzel is such a devotee of RoboCop that he actually wrote a uh, a sort of Shakespearean translation um, in iambic pentameter uh, into Elizabethan-style verse of the original RoboCop called Ye Tragical History of RoboCop. It's in process. I've written two scenes. It's in process. <laughs> so um, – uh, and and this is like uh, this is like some of the Shakespeare pop culture projects that we have heard about and talked about on Overthinking It, except that it exceeds them in quality by orders of magnitude. So we would like uh, to do a reading now of a scene from this magnum opus for you, uh, and I think you will know uh, what scene it is. I will be reading the character of Bellina, and uh, Pete Fenza will be reading with me. So uh, here we begin. Bixby, how be you here so derelict? Have you not an episode? Have you no car? Have wheels of steel and mine come free of axles? Smacked are you with yayo? Burned with the nuke? Why stand a man of your proud station? I'm, I'm sorry, I gotta break off, Pete. This yeah. is like excellent in its use of the metrical ambigu- uh, ambiguity in T-I-O-N endings in... Uh, <laughs> Shakespeare's time. You know, that's fantastic. Why stand a man of your proud station before my doorway at this time of night? I, sad Bixby Snyder, I, me, misery, once with glee adorning glassy screens, a crystal image in Golden Age Detroit, wandering obscure in this carcass of a city, once with mustache curled as tawny lion's mane, spectacles round and bright as heaven's orb, orbs at hand themselves, ample in pairs, neath pearly smiles, heavenly in aspect, with arcs and epicycles tracing in their past the cleavage of the sky, and sounding as a motored boat the music of the spheres. I'd buy that for a dollar. Aye, I have heard it, and been so motored for my supper. Nevermore will children dance. 
dancing spray of summer hydrants, returning to warm glow of televisory delight, seeing Bixby Snyder, that Bixby Snyder with the nurses. What will that Bixby seize upon next with mustache and the nurses? Look, there is Bixby. He in tender circumstances oft kept private, thus revealed by timely withdrawal of yonder shower curtain. I'd buy that for a dollar. In that shower have I stood as well. Go on. No! Bixby's broadcast shot by OCP. Bixby's office closed with heavy hands. Checks bounced, salary denied, and with crushing shame, he traces back across the checkered lot to Dormat, Dormant Chevrolet. Then Bixby is come upon by thieves. Thou shouldst not walk alone in old Detroit. I. But they must know Bixby. Come, put down thy dagger and share a word, said I, or share a drink. You get the first round, for times are hard, and I have but these shillings a meager take, hardly worth the trouble. Hardly worth the trouble is old Bixby. But then, with swung arm, stinging as the slaps, once playful punctuations of revelry, the ignored protestations of so many fine ladies were visited at last on old Bixby, and with that slaps, demand for wallet, for keys, for Chevrolet, and so with not a word of kindness, nor sign of recognition or respect, they absconding with the measure of my ducats. The fiends left me with but a single dollar, with which to hold what purchase I might claim. Finest Frankfurters, bunned and mustarded, OCP Franks are the juicy Franks. I'd buy that for a dollar. Nay, Bixby, thou hast but a single dollar. To let fly such lark, t'would be to squander. For as the cancered with that bucket list surmises... When tis your last, that dollar's value rises. But tis hot dog, bund and mustard. So like a dog with salt and pepper bristles, you shan't be taught new tricks. Then, yoink, I shall leash thy collar and let it run only when true value rendered as an air conditioner at night. Tyrant. Brutal Caesar, stand astride Detroit like a colossus, would you? Drizzle Rubicon on those who cross you! If twixt the legs of the colossus you might come, then doff thy cap and enter, for thou art a Rhodes Scholar. I'd buy that for a dollar. Let me let me ask you this: in the seat, in the two seeds you've written for your RoboCop Shakespearean adaptation, does RoboCop appear at all? No, not at all. I wrote one, and then I wrote I wrote a. I actually lost the other scene. I don't know what happened to it. Uh, I wrote I wrote the like boil the the boil boil trouble and troll and trouble or double bubble troll and trouble like witches singing of the story of RoboCop. But yes, this is not about RoboCop. This is clearly not a plot that's actually in the movie. The idea that that so I buy it. What'd you say? You could, you could kickstart this so easily, but yeah. the, only, the only kickstarted level that you should have is a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> you should not be allowed to be more than that. 